people of the world. Welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, episode 122. Today on the show, Google's new call history feature for my Google My Business people, for my entrepreneurs, for my business owners. It's always exciting when there's a new feature rolled out in Google My Business because that drives the majority of calls that brick and mortar companies receive. Facebook's outlining hate speech strategy. What are they going to do? New antitrust suit against Facebook. Am I a part of it? No. Are you interested in it? Maybe. Facebook sues Instagram clone operators. Oh, good. Litigation. And finally, Twitter fleets is struggling a bit. Turns out that uh, it's kind of tricky to do all of that. Show starts now. Okay, Google's new call history feature. This from TechCrunch.com. According to Google My Business, you can use call history to keep track of calls from your customers on Google Search and Maps. These calls may make it easier for you to find and do business with customers who found your business through Google. Right now, call history is available as a beta version to a select group of U.S. businesses. So what's it going to do? Apparently, when a customer uses the call button on your business profile, the call shows up on the calls tab on your Google My Business app. On this tab, you can see all of your recent and missed calls. That's pretty important. And once the call history feature is turned on, you must turn it on apparently, your customers will be able to connect with you through the phone number listed on your profile. Customers trying to call your business will see a local phone number with the same area code as your business. That's cool. Google might also use a regional phone number or on rare occasions, a toll free phone number so call tracking is a big big deal in my world because if someone is paying send it rising to do marketing for them they're going to want to know how many calls did you generate how long were the calls were they spam was it a first time caller can i get a recording of the call and all of those things are possible with something called call rail which is an amazing tool it's also an expensive tool um so you get pay or you pay per minute of uh, the actual phone calls. Um, and so what CallRail does is you put it on a website. Someone comes to the website from Google Ads, say. So they're seeing a whole different phone number. So they'll see 702, some string of numbers. But it's different than the normal 702 number. That's the area code for Las Vegas, in case you're wondering why I picked that. Anyway, they call in. Because they called a different number, the call gets recorded, and you get all that great information. Name of the caller, how long the call lasted, you get a recording of it. Hooray, fantastic. Now, Google obviously wants to promote businesses using Google My Business because it's a great way for them to also get them to spend money on Google local ads and just Google ads in general. And so the proliferation of more data that Google can receive or rather give to um, business owners um, is a big deal. So this new call history feature, what it does is it kind of competes with CallRail in that um, if you can just get great call data from the actual Google My Business profile, well then, hooray for you. Maybe you're not spending as much money on CallRail. And obviously, uh, Google isn't a free service. Um, it seems like it's free, but they're, you know, they're making their money through advertising just like anything else. And uh, they have a huge incentive to make business, business owners happy campers. So it's all about the Google My Business app. 
here. So um, why would this be uh, useful? According to the article, as a result of COVID-19, phone calls have experienced a resurgence as one of the primary ways customers can connect with businesses. According to Search Engine Land, call volumes are way up as consumers seek to, among other things, confirm product inventory and opening hours. Apologies, I actually put the wrong link in the description of this one. This is not TechCrunch, this is uh, social media today. So mistake there, I own it. The call history feature could help small businesses improve their customer service track record and possibly increase sales as customers call to check on available inventory. The other thing too is everything in Google My Business that you can turn on, you should. So anything to boost your rankings, uh, if you have a local business in Google My Business is a big, 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 big deal. Um, Google is obviously taking a look at all of this data. It understands more about your business when you turn features like this on. And so this call history tab is actually something that I'm gonna have to go through, talk with my staff, and make sure that we are um, using this um, across all of our clients. It's a pretty big deal. now. It says select group of U.S. businesses only, um, so we'll see how it rolls out. But if you want cutting-edge stuff, well, you've come to the right place because this is it. And just to make a fine point on this particular sword argument, um, we have had clients who end up ranking very well in Google Local, and it completely changes their life. Um, if you're a plumber, for example, an attorney, and you rank well in Google Maps, well, trust me, the calls start rolling in and that of course equates into quite a bit of money so moving on socialmediatoday.com facebook outlining hate speech strategy facebook's facilitation according to the article and amplification of both hate speech and misinformation has been a key topic of focus over the past four years but even more so with the chaos of 2020 covid 19 hashtag black lives matter and the u.s presidential election have all in their own ways underlined the role that Facebook can play in amplifying dangerous narratives and sowing division. Indeed, Facebook is currently facing tough questions, once again, uh, in its role. So um, Obama, Obama excuse me, um, weighed in on this and basically said, look, all social media platforms are going to essentially make editorial decisions, okay? So it, it's easy to look and judge like a Fox News or a New York Times or you name it as not being objective. But I think we have a long-standing history just of humankind of having our perspective, attempting to be objective at times, and just missing the mark based on our experience. Um, and so I think it's disingenuous to say that Facebook should remain objective because they can't. Um, at a certain point, Facebook is simply a different website. And so I've argued uh, for many weeks now that uh, you're basically offering a culture the Facebook culture is not the Twitter culture, is not Snapchat, is not Instagram. They have different demographics. They allow different things. Um, we have the growth of Parler, the conservative social network. Um, anyone who says it isn't a conservative social network, I would argue that it is. Um, I signed up. I took a look at it. It's very right-leaning, and it is a reflection of how folks who are conservative are viewing Facebook and Twitter as being um, on the left. And so Facebook's um, hate, hate speech strategy plays to their demographic. The folks that are using Facebook by and large do not want to see um, what they perceive as hate speech on the platform. And so it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that they would fight this particular battle. As explained by Facebook, prevalence estimates the percentage of times people see violating content on our platform 
we calculate hate speech prevalence by selecting a sample of content seen on Facebook and then labeling how much of it violates our hate speech policies. Based on this methodology, we estimated the prevalence of hate speech from July 2020 to September 2020 was 0.1% to 0.11%. In other words, out of every 10,000 views of content on Facebook, 10 to 11 of them included hate speech. So this is the, um, the loud vocal minority um, sociological experience, which is to say that if you're a teacher and you have 100 students in the classroom and one of them is nuts, you know, one of them is super outspoken, they can ruin it for everybody. Um, it just takes one. Um, and so this is the nature just across um, across society. And so it's not surprising to me that it's a very small percentage, excuse me, of folks that, um, that are uh, speaking in this way. Um, I would argue that not everything Facebook sees as hate speech for some uh, would be considered for all to be hate speech. So there is a bit of gray area and there's probably certain posts that you would show me that everyone I showed to would say, yes, that's ridiculous, that's hate speech. So um, Facebook has to make the call, they continue to make the call, um, but just to give you a sense of the volume, 0.1%. The important consideration here is scale, as Facebook notes, according to the article, 10 out of 10,000 isn't much, but Facebook has more than 2.7 billion active users. And as an example, if every single Facebook user only saw one post per month would still mean that 2.7 million people would still be seeing some hate speech content. So this is the issue. Um, Facebook has grown into an adult, if you will. And because they're an adult, they have to make adult decisions. They're basically a parent, um, if you want to make it like a social media metaphor. Um, and so they, you know, they have to do the right thing. They have to say, no, that's not okay. Um, they're no longer a teenager. You can't just be like, yeah, whatever goes sort of thing, um, which is why you're going to see a good splicing of demographics, people moving to Snapchat, people moving to Instagram, people moving to Parler, um, and that sort of thing. So we're just talking about cultural ecosystems here. So they outline a hate speech strategy. Fantastic. Good for them. Um, I don't know about the long-term viability of Facebook. Um, I do think that uh, there's a good chance that they've kind of hit their summit. Um, I would argue that uh, there's a lot of competition out there um, and uh, it's only growing and seeing the explosive growth of Parler is, is a good example of that. Um, a lot of people left Facebook when they realized that the Messenger app was taking a look at your data and using it for ads. Um, and a lot of people are leaving Facebook after this election. Love it or hate it, um, it is what it is. And uh, people have more choice now. So the market really is dictating that. Um, however, the growth numbers are still staggering for Facebook. They're still growing to a lot of other countries to assume that Facebook is just a, an American sort of market is obviously pretty myopic. Moving along, new antitrust suit against Facebook, not shocking at all. Facebook is set to have another legal challenge. This going to socialmediatoday.com uh, with the Washington Post reporting that a group of state attorneys general is on track to file antitrust charges against the network. This one um, not about just the size of Facebook itself, but rather the acquisition of Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, so a lot of the folks that I know that live in South America, they're big fans of um, WhatsApp. It's like the go-to. Also, um, I forgot the word in Mandarin for WhatsApp, but uh, I've heard it multiple times. So China, South America for sure, probably other places as well, but that's my personal experience with WhatsApp uh, being quite popular. 
in those communities. According to the reports, back to the article, the legal challenge will allege that Facebook's purchases of rival social apps, quote, helped create an anti-competitive social networking juggernaut. Ah, you gotta love that word. Which has since moved to quash opposition. Uh, yeah, well, of course they have. I mean, this is not it's not really up for debate. The question is, what do we want to do about it, right? So Instagram um, is one of those social media platforms that gets talked about a lot um, as an alternative to Facebook, but it's not an alternative because it is Facebook. So if the same company creates these slices of demographics, you know, so if, if Facebook creates the next younger demographic social media platform and just continues to receive... Um, all of these uh, new uh, users, then I mean, that's kind of the definition of a monopoly. It's also a sign that they're very good at what they do. Um, so let's not uh, forget that the talented folks at Facebook are some of the best of the best because they're being paid the best. They get the best salaries. They graduate from the best schools and um, they're obviously smart, smart people. So um, it's easy to look at Facebook and think Zuckerberg and not see just the uh, tens of thousands of brilliant uh, 4.0 GPA engineers, smart, 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 smart people who are making these decisions as well. It's, it's too easy to demonize them. At the conclusion of that hearing, it seemed clear that further steps would be taken. Um, Zuckerberg was specific, specifically questioned about Facebook's acquisition of Instagram, which documents suggest was at least partly intended to neutralize a competitor. Of course, they're going to try to do that. Um, if you are a quarterback, and, you know, you can neutralize, you know, uh, some guy trying to tackle you. Of course, you're going to do that. Um, so it's not surprising to me at all that they're making these decisions. It's impossible for Facebook to walk on the tightrope perfectly all of the time. So, quote, this hearing has made one fact clear. These companies, as they exist today, have monopoly power. This is from uh, subcommittee chair David Ciceline. Um, he says some need to be broken up. All need to be properly regulated and held accountable. We need to ensure the antitrust laws first written more than a century ago work in the digital age. It's interesting to me because you've got um, TikTok owned by China, uh, ByteDance, um, and the Trump administration fervently fighting them at every possible step. Um, and then we've got, you know, a little bit of infighting. So we've got American legislators basically saying, hey, American company, we're going to fight you. I would assume that Europe would fight it. I'd assume that Australia would fight it. And we've covered that um, in previous episodes um, where they do um, because they're not re really seeing the revenue like we are. Um, it's interesting to me that the politicians of the United States are coming after an American company that is a global company. So the share um, of users uh, that are American just make up a fraction of the total. Um, so we'll see. Uh, back to the article, this new push will look to add further weight um, to the call to, you know, for them to be broken up. So we shall see. You know, maybe they break up Facebook and Instagram. I could see that as sort of being a decent uh, push forward. Um, it's interesting to me that Google and YouTube are both owned by Alphabet. Um, but let's not forget that YouTube is incredible. It's an incredible service. Google's an incredible service. Facebook's an incredible service. And to everyone who watched The Social Dilemma and goes, Facebook's evil, um, I would argue that you need to take responsibility for your social interaction and the amount of time you spend um, on the screen. It's very important for you to meditate every day, 10 or 15 minutes, um, pushing towards a more balanced life, more exercise. Um, this sort of stuff can't be underestimated. 
Um, and so, you know, keep an eye on your own health. Facebook sues Instagram clone operators. We're having a very litigious episode today. Facebook has today filed, according to TechCrunch.com, another lawsuit against a company acting in violation of its terms of service. In this case, the company has sued Ensar Sahantürk, a Turkish national who operated a network of Instagram clone sites, according to court filings. Facebook says Sahantürk used automation software to scrape Instagram users' public profiles photos and videos from over 100,000 accounts without permission. And this data was then published on his network of websites. So what is that? This just goes to the value that we are adding to these social media platforms, right? So this guy, this Ensar Sontark takes all of this data from Instagram, but let's be fair. It's not as if Instagram created this data. It's not like Instagram sat there and went, we're going to create all these profiles. They created a platform and the people themselves created the profiles. So it's interesting to me that if I have a website and I offer, you know, the ability for people to log in and create their own profile, and they're basically working for me because all content has value. It might be 0.0001 cents, uh, but it has advertising value, right? So if I can persuade you to come to my website and create content, you're working for me effectively. Um, and so interesting that, you know, Facebook is going to go sue someone who took that labor that people put onto another website, labor that you could argue Instagram doesn't own. They don't own the labor of the people that went to the website. They just so happen to be the platform that is choosing to house it. So I could definitely see litigation saying in the future that says, look, um, the person who produces the content is the owner of that content by law, right? I could see legislation being um, enacted on that sort of thing um, to, to fight against um, this sort of uh, free labor that um, essentially Facebook um, has given. Like another good example is Google, right? So we create all of these websites. They're not doing it. Google just gives us the ability to quickly sort through all that information. They don't own the website. You can do whatever you want with that website. Um, but the fact that you created it, they monetize off of your labor. Um, same is true of Facebook. So you go and you're putting pictures of your kids and people are liking it. Well, then obviously when people scroll through, they're seeing ads. But that data that you added to the website, that's yours. And it's interesting to me that Facebook then sues someone else who took that data and just put it over here. Right. So whose data is it? Is it mine? Is it can anyone just take it and move it over to another website? So I see why this is uh, sticky legally, um, but is it? This is interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out if we um, if we get more news articles about this in the future. So let's go back to the article a little bit more. In the filing, Facebook says it became aware of the clone website network a year ago in November 2019. It learned that the defendant had controlled a number of domains, many with the names that were similar to Instagram. I mean, so I get it; it's a knockoff, right? Including Jollygram, Imgram, blah 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 blah. The first in that list, Jollygram had been in use since 2017. The others were registered in later years as the network expanded. So, you know, he's trying to rip off data. I get that um, on its face, but it does bring up some larger questions. Anyway, there you have it. Twitter fleets is struggling. I don't think because it's not getting enough users, um, but uh, simply because I think the uh, servers are having issues. Um, shout out to Esther Sass again in chat. Appreciate you uh, leaving some comments. Uh, you want me to call you about the Google stuff? What does the fine print say on Instagram? I don't have a clue. 
I have no idea. I imagine that the terms of service for Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, all these sorts of, um, I, you could probably count on two hands the number of people that have read every word of the terms of service. Um, that's not true. There's probably more than that. But users that have actually gone through and read every single uh, word of the terms of service, terms of service to me are ridiculous. Um, they are just, um, they're one of the most ridiculous things about being incarnated on this planet in, in 2020 is this idea that somehow when we sign up for something and we see this unbelievably dense, impossible to read foreign language, it may as well be in Mandarin, right? It may as well just be, it's completely incomprehensible and uh, very, very few people read it. And the terms of service probably says, if you, uh, you know, uh, like we own all of this and blah, blah, blah. So you get it. Um, Fleets from Twitter is struggling, according to TechCrunch.com, under the load launched this morning to Twitter's global user base. Fleets appeared at the top of the Twitter app, allowing users to post ephemeral content uh, that disappears in 24 hours, as well as view stories posted by others. Um, yes, Jason Davenport in chat. I was going to say no one reads that stuff. It's true. And that is how they get us. Um, the rumors are true. Um, so what's the deal with Twitter fleets? Um, according to TechCrunch, they're aware of the problem, um, which is that it's crashing the website, I want to say. Uh, many Twitter users are reporting fleets are lagging and moving slowly. Some even say the feature is crashing their Twitter app. So rolling out something new. Um, fleets, uh, I've heard it described as uh, tweeting for cowards, <laughs> which is to say that, uh, you know, some people simply um, don't want their content up there for very long. And I've said many times before, um, anyone can take a screenshot of that. So it's not like it's actually being wiped from the internet. So the fact that Twitter is already overwhelmed by user demand for fleets could perhaps be an early sign of success. If users had no interest at all in Twitter's version of stories, they may not have bothered to update their app to try it out. Eh, I don't know. I don't think that guarantees that uh, fleet is very successful. I think it only means that um, it's not working. So it's uh, it's crashing. Oh, it was the number one trending term on Twitter uh, at the time of writing. So perhaps it is more popular than I would have uh, estimated. So there you go. Twitter launching fleets. Fantastic. Good stuff. Okay. So in summary, we've done 122 glorious episodes. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to everyone who is hitting the like button and uh, who is leaving comments. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Um yeah, so Jason Davenport, basically Fleets is uh, the ability to have a story, which means that your posts delete in Twitter after, I want to say, 24 hours. New feature. So Google's new call history feature. Again, this is only as a beta version to select group of U.S. business people. Um, it's going to be big. Um, I'm pretty excited about this Google new call history feature because I'm a nerd. Um, and uh, there you have it. Yes, Jason, it is like Snapchat. That's exactly right. Basically, all the social media platforms are doing the same thing. So there's not really much that differentiates um, Snapchat from Instagram, from TikTok, from Facebook, from Parler. Um, I would argue other than, um, what is it? Other than uh, the cultures. The cultures themselves are, are very different. Uh, Facebook's outlining a hate speech strategy, to my point I just made. New antitrust suit against Facebook. Should we really be breaking up American companies, um, speaking as an American? Um, maybe. 
Um, uh, the jury's still out on this one. Um, I think maybe the Facebook, Instagram monopoly or the Google YouTube monopoly um, could, an argument could be made for that. Um, about a year or two years ago, um, I started talking about how I think politicians are going to be elected um, simply based on their stance on social media. I think it's going to be a big, big deal. It's going to be one of the primary issues moving forward. It's just going to be like guns, um, pro-choice, pro-life, that sort of stuff. Facebook suing Instagram clone operators. Whose data is it really? Um, if I create it on the website and someone takes it, shouldn't I be able to choose whether or not I think that's right or wrong? Um, should it be Facebook suing uh, other websites because they believe that, that they have the right to use my photos? It's very sticky and very weird, um, this particular uh, problem. I, I personally think that if I were to create a Facebook profile and someone else uh, took that profile and put it somewhere else, that would be a, a line too far because I didn't agree to that. Um, if I put my stuff on Facebook, I know that it's going to be on Facebook, so I can see why Facebook's suing here. It seems pretty common sense. And uh, Twitter launching something new um, called Fleets, uh, posts disappear in 24 hours. What does this mean? It basically means that all these social media platforms are the same. Just the same with uh, different skins. Anyway, thanks uh, for all the chatting today. I really appreciate that. Good stuff. Love seeing the chats in the chat. Makes me feel quite happy. Um, if you're joining us after the fact, which most people do, so don't feel weird if you're watching the show after the fact, uh, you can join us for the live show, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, chat with me. You can write whatever you want in chat. I don't care. You can email me, uh, info at senditrising.com, I-N-F-O at S-E-N-D-I-T-R-I-S-I-N-G, info at senditrising.com. Um, and then the show obviously is available on podcasts and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Thanksgiving coming up next week. Exciting stuff. We're going to be off Thursday and Friday of next week, but I will see you all on Monday. Happy Friday. And uh, we will touch base then. Farewell. Class dismissed.